Drum Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. Well, the one video that I love the most is there's a little boy who looks like Antonio and his parents, and he thinks it's him. And it's so beautiful. I'm so happy about that because he sees himself on the screen and he's communicating and he's thinking, oh, that's me. Disney's Encanto continues to break music chart records and is a viral sensation. For composer Jermaine Franco, of all the moments that stand out, she says it's the little boy who looks like Antonio that tugs at her heartstrings. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to composer Jermaine Franco about the music behind Encanto. But first, our Award Circuit Roundtable meets in person for the first time. We recap the SAG Awards and how it has or hasn't brought clarity to the Oscar race. It's all next on this edition of the award-winning Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everyone. It's live. It's in person. It's real. It's the Variety Awards Roundtable. We are sounding good. Listen to this audio. I've got to my left, Janelle Riley. Good morning, Michael Schneider. Sitting across Janelle, it is Jazz Tanke. Hello in the flesh. And finally, on oh, his phone no. because he can't be bothered. No, to I'm pulling pay up attention. the news that we need, that we're going to be talking about. It I is. Want to make sure that I have the correct information. Live from Los Angeles, it's it's Tuesday. It's the one and only Clayton Davis. We are here. We are in person. We are vaxxed. We are uh, boosted. 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 But one of us has a cough. We've all been. <laughs> Tested multiple times for events, et cetera. So. I have to get three tests today. <laughs> today? Yeah, because studios won't share. Yeah. Oh, that's results. silly. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. It, oh. You know what? This, these are champagne problems. Happy it's, to be back. That's true. Yep. Hey, by the way, you kind of like being swabbed in the nose. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Depends. If they go gentle, I hate it because it tickles. It does tickle. But if yeah. they get in there and they're hard, <laughs> it's so much better. I'm like, how far in are you going? Oh, and... it touches the brain. <laughs> <laughs> to that, I'm getting tested Every day this Jazz. week for the same reason. Yeah. Jazz, you need to talk into the mic. We have microphones <gasps> now. Oh my oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. I'm getting tested every day because studios are not accepting another studio's tests. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, again, champagne problems, I suppose. Do you so. like I, it hard I, or I, soft? I, <laughs> Whoa. I like it bubbly. Whoa. This is getting graphics. <laughs> you, that's Look in your guys' family head. podcast. You taking it. Uh. It that's on you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to it. So we we had the SAG. <gasps> SAG chaos or clarity? I'm not sure. Uh, clarity. Chaos. That's chaos. First of all, can we just shout out two hour ceremony? Flies. How you doing? Yes. Very nice. But we could still fit stunt ensemble. Stunts can go. Right, nicely. In yeah, two-hour ceremony with clips. Yeah, 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 and like nice little bits. And... Uh, but not towards the end. Yeah, like, I think they realized they were running like short. Miniseries. They were just like yeah. no, because they because they were like, hey, Kate Winslet's not here. Well, I, I thought it was odd that they ended with miniseries like after all the big yeah. TV categories. Yeah. But I guess that's because it's the big stars. Well, it's Michael still the Keaton film was in the stars. bathroom for a long time. He needed more time. <laughs> to that was get one of my stage. favorite moments. Of oh my the god, podcast. he knows that. how to make an entrance. The way he rolled onto that stage. Yeah. And gave the best speech of the night. Yeah. Of, of any category. Easily. Yeah. Easily. I mean, he hit all the marks. It was emotional. It was touching. It was congratulatory. It's it's why he's our Batman. He is our Batman. He's, yes, he, he is. Our, is. I, well, okay. 
I'm a Christian Bale person, yeah. but oh. yes, Michael Keaton is a very fine Batman, and maybe our best Bruce Wayne. He's the he's the only yeah. one that I think has successfully done both. Well, actually, Val Kilmer was a really good Bruce. He was Wayne. he was he was, he was yeah. a great Bruce Wayne. It's terrible Batman. Terrible. He was stuck yeah. in the movie that yeah. he was. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So let's um. Let's look at go through some of the. Sag Do you awards. have some sort of breaking news? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm just using, <laughs> using my I'm using my 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 article notes. Well, let's, let's let's go straight to the 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 actress because that's the one. Jessica that's... Chastain. Called it Listen. four out of five for me, and if I had just stuck with Ariana Debose, I just didn't see Power Which of the Dog. Which is so weird. Like I feel like that's the one. I, that's well, the easy that's call. why. I, you know what the truth is? It it wasn't about her because she's brilliant, of course. It was I really wasn't sure if people had seen the movie. Mm. Because so many SAG voters were talking about not getting that screener. Yeah. Well, so so is this an example of clarity, though, in terms of actress? I, I, or? I, I think, well, no. Actress is not cleared up. That's still wide open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain winning for The Eyes of Tammy Faye has now – there's there's two ways you could look at it. I, I call it the turn. That's what I famously call it, the turn that we saw at – uh, 2012 or 11, when Ju- Jean Dujardin won mm. for the artist, it was yeah. Clooney all along, and then the turn happened. Yeah, uh, we saw it with Sean Penn for Milk. The turn happened, so it feels a little bit like the turn, but she's also not a BAFTA, and neither is any neither. Oscar nominee. Yeah. And I don't think Chastain's winning Critics' Choice, no. so we're gonna have a different lead actress winner at every award ceremony for the second year in a row. You don't think, then who do you think takes home Oscar? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, Chassain maybe, yeah. but, but I think we're just going to have a different, uh, the, Oh, until uh, the, Oscar until the Oscars were, yeah. 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 Cause critics choice, I think is going to Kristen Stewart. I agree. Yeah. And BAFTA will go to like Renat or Alana or any of the, Others. Yeah. Oh, so this is the opposite of clarity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, I that, think, that's chaos. I yeah. think what's going to help Chastain at the Oscars, though, is the makeup. And it goes back to the makeup artist having that nomination. Yeah. But yeah, And also what trouble. will help her is she's Jessica Chastain. Yeah. She's one of the two in the category that hasn't won before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kristen Stewart also hasn't won. Everyone else has won. None of them are coming from Best Picture nominees, first time since 2005. So it doesn't show a lot of passion for their movies. So they may just go with familiar faces. And Jessica Jessen, you get her moment? I mean, she is overdue in so many ways, which I know sounds silly. It's only her third Oscar nomination. But everyone loves her. She's an actor's actor, transformative performance, ticking all the boxes for me. Yep. Uh, And then... Fun fact, which leads us into actor, where Will Smith, I think, is now ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, They will be the third and fourth people to produce themselves to Oscar wins. Oh, Oh, fun fact. This happened twice. Uh, Last year with Frances McDormand, first woman to do it. And then Laurence Olivier uh, for Hamlet. Hamlet. Oh, my gosh. Way back in the day. But before 1950, the studios got the best picture win. So he was a producer, but he didn't get an Oscar for it. But he's still Mm, a producer for it. didn't know that. Yep. Hmm. So, yeah, so Will Smith, Jessica Chessine producing themselves to Oscar wins. Will felt, I, I think, whatever happens, at BAFTA, yeah. it. whatever happens at BAFTA, I think we're good. That's not a Will Smith song. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, wait, hang on a second. No, no, no I wasn't. I mean, I know I know nothing he's, about music. He's getting but... jiggy. Yeah. <laughs> Miami, Wild Wild West. <laughs> Will Smith, yeah. really, really lovely speech, too. Yeah. Yeah, you could tell it meant a lot to him. Which Can I also say much. best tux of the night? Like I, I love, love yeah. the best man yeah. with actually, killer. Actually, the whole King Richard group, Sonia Sidney and that Sinai blue Sinai, yeah. Cinderella yeah. dress, and Jada Pinkett Smith looking amazing. Like, yeah, Tony Goldwyn was over at another table, 
Not sure what that was about. (laughs) No, he was like he was like close to them, but you know, he he was there presenting with Kerry Washington. Tony Goldwyn is sixty-one. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I was like, oh my gosh, is that weird? But it makes sense. You're like, yeah, you were in Ghost. You should be sixty-one. I assume he was fifteen. Yeah, good sixty-one. As good sixty-one. Yeah, but um, oh, you're good. I was going to say somebody else that looked amazing at the Saga Awards was our very own Angelique Jackson and Mark Malkin. Those two back on the red carpet and. She looks amazing. That's why I don't like doing red carpets. We have to be compared to Angelique and Mark, and they do it so well. So it's just like we always pale in comparison. Um, but yeah, Will and Will feels good. I think Ariana feels good. Those are the two that I'm like, I think those I, are good. Yeah. Okay, I'm still holding out on Ariana a little bit because Anjanou Ellis is in the Oscar race, and I don't know how you vote for Will and not her. I mean, you're not nominated SAG. I think that's just a hard thing to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she's winning BAFTA either. So it'd be weird for her to like win it in the, especially like against us. Like the only time, I think the last time that a supporting actress that steamrolled, quote unquote, like won every televised award show and then lost in the end was uh, Lauren Bacall. That was going to be my guess. Lauren Bacall. But also in a movie where she was the only nomination, not a lot of passion, and lost to the best picture winner, like, Actress from the Best Picture winner, so that's why. It's if there's like, going to be a hard. surprise, though, I feel like it's in supporting actress. Mm. I think I think it's in supporting actor. Really? You don't think Troy's? I don't think I don't think that's locked. I think it looks really good for him, but I don't. I wouldn't say because I think Kieran Hines is going to win BAFTA. So then, then you have Cody Globe, Troy SAG, Kieran uh, BAFTA, and then Critics Choice probably is Troy. So that might give him an upper hand, but I I wouldn't think that that's over interesting that mm. was a fun start to the show though, oh my gosh see. after yes. that was the one category i probably cared the most about yeah and so after that i was kind of like well this is anticlimactic yeah. <laughs> but, but for troy and uh, ariana debose to both win back to back yeah. at the start yeah. of the show you're like yeah. this feels this is a good set yeah. Awards. Mm-hmm. yeah also thought, both great speeches yeah and and i thought that even the opening was kind of fun you know they they do that whole i'm an actor thing every year and it kind of gets a little like hey, you're doing this again I, but i, I like i feel it, like though. they did a good job it, it, this yeah. year it with feels it. them and it is and and it was fun, um, you know, to open with cousin Greg, Nicholas Braun. Oh, I mean, <laughs> and Kieran yeah. Culkin sitting next to him, yeah. just like playing along. Yeah. It was just fun. Like I can never I, tell I'm if cousin in. Greg is doing a bit or. Oh right. no! Yeah, that's what he's like, though, right? Yeah. If, I mean, El El Fanning's was the only one that was a little awkward because I feel like she wasn't her, like though. ready. For, is, I don't think she was like, either ready for it or yeah. she, like they told her right before the show. I. I find it adorable because Elle Fanning, as famous and as beautiful and as accomplished as she is, she's still kind of just like, I can't believe I'm here all the yeah, time. And yeah. I feel it's actually very sincere. Yeah. She, I mean, she, oh, she's quintessentially herself. Yeah. And I love yeah. it. Um, and then, yeah, so supporting actor, I'm not convinced on. So talk about ensemble, went to Coda. And it's in a momentum grabbing moment. Some of it by accident because it's going to win Writers Guild. But Lost Order and Power of the Dog aren't there mm-hmm. because they weren't eligible. Mm-hmm. So it's getting all this momentum. One Hollywood Critics Association this week. Um, listen, like now with this momentum, I, I could see a day that it won Critics' Choice. You know, it, it, listen, it's, th- it's three nominations, though. It, it really, yeah. it's going to trump a lot of history. Uh, only one film has won without a DGA nomination in history, and that's Driving Miss Daisy, which weirdly kind of feels similar in that feel-good nature. And... Um, 
it doesn't have directing or editing, and that's and no film has ever won one Best Picture since editing has been a category without at least a nomination in one of those categories. If nominations wow. came out today, Sean Hader would be nominated. Mm-hmm. You don't think so? No. It, had, it played the long game, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, if, if it came out today after winning, like, yeah. Dag Ensemble, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then sure. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I, I, it, it can do it. It's just going to it's gonna be hard. But I, w- I am not close to the fact of getting a Grand Hotel moment that it wins Best Picture and Best Picture only. I think that mm. could happen. Mm. That would be weird. I can see that. I, uh, if, because I've been saying all along that Coda is the number two yeah. behind Power of the Dog, have you changed up your rankings at all? I actually, it's weird. I think I'm back on Belfast because, <sighs> listen, again, preferential ballot, Power of the Dog had a rough weekend. It lost to Scripter. Which Coda wasn't there, wasn't eligible. Oh, I wondered. Because Lost It's a remake of a movie, and, and Scripter okay. does novel adaptation. It's a remake of a movie? Yeah, fr- the French, a French movie. Oh. Yeah. Not an American movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. That's, that's, the, that's the movies that count. It's not like Sam Elliott right now talking about Power of the oh. Dog. Ooh. <laughs> that, yeah. Hey, let's Sam Elliott be Sam Elliott. Oh, I love Sam Elliott. My God. But um, yeah, Power of the Dog, like. Had a rough, it had like losing scripter. I think it was a little showing it lost. It won nothing at SAG. I mean, it, it's good. Obviously, it could still win BAFTA. I think it's going to probably win BAFTA, but I just hear a lot of it's divisive. Like, we always knew it was divisive. I do think, though, that the Academy audience is going to be more friendly to it than SAG feels like. I don't want to say populist, that's not the right word, but 150,000 voters, right. you know, all from oh, TV and sure. movies versus the Academy voters. 9, 000, I, yeah. I think are, and I think it's winning director. I don't know who beats Jane Campion. So, so he, th- that's what brings about an interesting question, because if Power of the Dog is like, not saying it is, but let's just say it's kind of coming off the rails right now. Like, it's not like really looking solid everywhere it needs to. Because below the line, it's only really competitive in two races, cinematography and score. Both of which I think it's winning, probably. Mm. Uh, Maybe not score. I think Hans Han Zimmer, I think, and then, and then yeah. Dune. Like, Dune is going to probably run the gamut below and the line. With Batman's release, I think that's going to help Greg Frazier. Um, <laughs> are you watching YouTube what on you? your computer? What? You my had phone? the audacity to China. scream at me for looking at my phone, and he's watching <laughs> on that YouTube. Note, I'm going to leave this conversation. <laughs> Bye, everybody. That was a commercial that just popped up <laughs> on my laptop. They are insidious. Yeah. Yep. Um, are you really leaving? I'm seriously Yeah, leaving. Coffee oh. McGee has to be somewhere. <laughs> oh. Okay. Oh, bye, Jazz. I will bye, Jazz. leave you all. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Something uh, profound. Uh, yeah, what's it profound? Oh, oh cinematography Batman. and score. Yo, the Batman's going to... Let's let's help. Oh, wait, Jazz. Jazz. <sighs> jazz. <laughs> We're keeping uh, this all in, by I the know, way. Yeah. This, is, this yes, is gold. You guys heard a British woman leave the room. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Yes, so Batman, I think, is going to help Dune because Batman, which the first reviews dropped. I saw it with you, Janelle. We were sitting next to each other. Well, not next to each other. You put the seat between us. I did put it because I was being mindful. (laughs) Uh, I can't stand also when a a theater is empty and people will sit right right next to I'm like, come on. Like, we don't need it. Come on. But you did move and gave me the bar so I could put my leg up. I did. I did. I want him to be comfortable for those three hours. Hours. But uh, Greg Frazier's work on the Batman is fantastic. 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 So I think that's going to help. So, okay, so that's Power of the Dog below the line. So then we go above the line. It's Cody, not really on the table. Kirsten. Wait, not on the table at I mean, all? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm saying not, 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 yeah, not in a very assured way. We got a month left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kirsten is, is, is 
I think Kirsten is a player, and I know she is. Yeah, but again, she's not at BAFTA. Yeah, either. So like, she has, it's there's just it's very little room to gain momentum, and then Benedict, I think, will like might have locked that up. So are we talking about Jane Campion? Oh, by the way, and then the Lost Daughter beating it at Scripter. Now that means maybe Lost Daughter wins adapted screenplay or Coda if we think Coda's having a moment. So we're left with Jane Campion and director. And are we saying this is Mike Nichols, The Graduate Part Two? Because that's what happened. Mike Nichols only won The Graduate only won director and director only. I don't know who beats her. What if it's just a Belfast night? What if it just just went Belfast? Like, I mean, it's gonna. I think Belfast won the original screenplay. You do. Yeah. Well, you might. Uh, yeah, I I think it's between that and Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, actually, and a little bit of Don't Look Up. Well, means, of course, don't look. I always forget. Don't look up because I think of it as adapted for some reason. Yeah. It feels so real. It's adapted from uh, my, real, yeah. real life. Yeah, Mike's uh, memoir. Everyone uh, has seen Don't Look Up. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's good. And a lot of admiration. It might win uh, Writers Guild because mm-hmm. Belfast be. isn't there. PTA is so that could uh, do some stuff there. So yeah, uh, Jane Campion winning director, and then I st- I'm like, are you really just winning director? I mean, who knows? But. I think Power of the Dog, though, on a preferential ballot, I I definitely will say I feel Power of the Dog will have the most number one votes on the first round, but you need 50% plus one. It's math. I think people's faith might be shaken a little, but I still think Power of the Dog is coming in strong. So how many does it win on the night? I think it's definitely winning. Well, I shouldn't say definitely. I think it, it's – and by the way, against we have another month. Yeah, go. yeah, true. Um, I think it's winning director and cinematography. Okay. Um, and then it's, I think it's a serious, I think it's still a serious contender for best picture. I do think my whole thing with the lead actor category has been Andrew Garfield, Will Smith, Benedict Cumberbatch. It kind of in some ways comes down to who campaigns the best, like Jean Dujardin. Mm. That's like how he helped turn the tide. So, I mean, things could happen in the next month. You just don't know. And I think Benedict is winning BAFTA. So the big question though is what is winning the fan Twitter poll? Funk <laughs> head desk. I have a, a late. That's what SAG was missing. I have a late yeah, entry. Fan favorite. I have a late entry because Taylor Sheridan now has done the uh, you know 1883 was actually a 10 hour movie with a conclusion. Maybe 1883 comes in and suddenly wins it all. Start voting. Is that yeah. really in the running? No, no. Okay. I'm, I'm joking. Because I no. saw the movies that were in the running. <laughs> no, they, they you they you the eligible because I have a story that will be out by the time you're. That's to what this. I was wondering yeah. about. Yeah. Yes. Um. They use the 276 eligibility films. Those are the ones that are eligible to win the fan favorite. So no, Zack Snyder's Justice League is not eligible to win the fan favorite because it wasn't eligible for the Oscars. I saw that Minamoto was in there, and I assume that that's Johnny Depp fans, but it's a really good that, movie. That is Johnny Depp fans. Yeah. That's 100% Johnny but Depp I'm fans. Because I, I yeah. can't pick out a regular person that even knows what that movie is. And I think regular person, I'm talking about like my wife, my family, because they are regular people. And I will run stuff by them. They have no idea what that. They didn't even know Johnny Depp was in a movie. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, that movie got like, it's in the, it's got shoved and it's in that, like, in that, like, no man's land. It's a Margaret zone a little bit. And yeah, like, that's a Johnny Depp. Listen, Army of the Dead, same thing. Like, this is like a lot of, this is what fans do. They go hard for who they want to go for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy that its name is out there, at least, and people know this movie yeah. exists because it's really beautiful. I think it's better than Oscar cheer moment that, like, I don't uh. understand how we got to those five. I haven't seen the five for Oscar. Uh, it's everything after two thousand like nine. Like it, it was like 
best so this moments is of all time Oscar of Chino. all time and like avengers is on there uh dream girls i and i am telling you which really feels shoehorned in there well also didn't they get the name of the song wrong someone told me oh i don't know yeah. like it like this like i get what they're trying to i get the purity of what they're trying to do the academy they're trying to show that the academy is not you can like schindler's list and you can like spider-man we all like movies i get that but these these films are not getting oscars they're just getting recognized on the night so i feel like people and by people i mean Zack snyder fans and cinderella fans are going to be very disappointed and they're going to look at them and say we we did all this for 15 seconds of you saying, you're the fan favorite. Pat on the back. See you later. And I'm afraid we don't have time to present editing because yeah. mm-hmm. we just did that. Wow. What a, what a moment. Let's talk about TV at the oh, yeah, real quick. No, let's, let's, let's move on to that. No, I do want – I'm, I'm dying to talk to you about TV. I did really well on the TV side. I did awful because how does Squid Game win both actors I can answer that. not, not – Ensemble. ensemble because succession it, it's it, 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 such it, an ensemble it doesn't make i would have i i would not have been surprised if it was flipped yes I was squid game had gotten ensemble and then jeremy and sarah or whoever was right. an actor right got, got yeah that would have made sense to me this was crazy to the point that when the the, the two actors won i went on twitter don't do this yeah don't ever i did do this too. i went on i said it's a sweep yep because I also got stunned on Stumble. Yeah, got yeah. Stunned. yeah. I was like, so I was like Squid Game, feeling confident. And then, of course, 20 minutes later, I'm like, this aged well. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's retweeting my initial tweet. Right. And I, yeah. I, so Look at what a dork. <laughs> like it, it, and now we look forward to Emmys, right? I have a hard time seeing, and listen, we're not even in the Emmy phase one yet, but I have a hard time seeing the actors winning at Emmys. I could see Squid Game winning drama series, but the actors, like that translation is going to be hard to... Supporting actor, I feel, Squid Game has a shot. Yeah. At least for a nomination. I like, mean, Nominations, I think, could happen. Yeah. Like, again, populist choices, like, people aren't watching a whole lot of TV, so... They've what seen, they aren't? Yeah, like, no like, one told me. I, I mean, they're not. They're not seeing like a, a large array of what's going to be on the slate. So I think they're going to go like, listen, shown by the crown sweeping last year. I think they just go by like the small bucket of what they've seen, what they've or what they've heard about, or what they heard about. Yeah, yeah. Can um, I put in my early vote now for Conan O'Brien on Murderville? Oh, so fantastic! Murderville is delightful. Yeah. Like I love it so much. Guest star in a couple. Will he be eligible? Because uh, yeah, he was he, he was be. perfect. He didn't break, but yeah. he, he was so I, I funny. Lo- I love that other they, people. Break. I love that they were breaking though. Like Annie Murphy was just delightful. For oh. me, it was Ken Jeong because he has that cute little giggle. He he couldn't <laughs> keep it together like the whole time. He was just like losing it. But yeah, so Squid Game. I don't know if that how much that translates to in the end. But now I'm wondering like maybe. Emmy is going to mess this up and it's just succession and Squid Game's going to go, you know, is going to have a harder time than we think. Um, It's hard to say. I mean, succession was always going to be the front runner. And so it's it's still the front runner. But Squid Game is is going to be in the mix. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the question is then, is there room for all the other shows that are coming back yeah. this year? Like, you know, my, my concern is, you know, final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, oh. Um, actually, Wait, isn't that stretched out? Yeah, it is stretched yeah. out. So we'll have an opportunity. <laughs> the to first half here. of Stranger Things. First half of Stranger. Th- I mean, there's a lot of first halves. Um, can, can you do a PSA about stop splitting seasons into 
Like they're, let's be two. honest, they're they're their own seasons. Yeah, this like, yeah, splitting like, doesn't Which is fine. Um, oh, can it, we start um complaining now about snubbing Rhea Seahorn? Because no, no matter how that's brilliant who I, she that's, is, that's who I was thinking of yep. when it comes to like, you know, I'm I'm a Ray Seahorn fa- stan. So <laughs> we're uh, you know, fingers crossed, gonna push hard for her. But um, And we shouldn't have to, she should be a no brainer every damn year. Yeah. But you know, there's there's a lot of TV, so this is gonna be chaos this year and and uh yeah, comedy we're, especially. We're comedy just... is a bloodbath. I mean, Ted Lasso, by the way, is like d- does it again with Sudeikis. Um Yeah, and then we still have Atlanta final final season. Atlanta, yeah, final season of Atlanta. Atlanta, Barry, Maisel, like yeah. mur- only murders in only the building. Murders, yeah, like, and that's just like the top line. Yeah, like, and there's. I mean, think about Girls Five Eva. Is that? I was just back? gonna say. I need I my Girls Five Eva and the after party. Yeah. The after party better be Will that be a on miniseries, something. though? Or is but, it? I don't Because I think it's, mm, I don't know. Have Maybe. you all seen the finale? I have not seen the I last episode yet. yet. Um, Abbott Elementary, I want to get oh. in the mix. Oh, Let's yeah. get some uh, network love in there. A ghost. Um, Sorry. Big yeah, ghost fan. But still final season of Blackish. Um, oh, yeah. This is final season. Which is uh, another Emmy darling through the years, at least from nominations perspective. So, yeah, there's a lot. So you're gonna have so much fun we'll, next year. We'll get, we'll get to that at yeah. some point. Let's. <laughs> well, who's the other comedy? Wait, who won comedy actress? Jean uh, uh, Smart. Jean Smart. Oh yeah. yeah. She hacks, and there'll be more hacks. Yeah. Don't Je- forget hacks. Yep. Oh, hacks Je- so Jean good. Smart and Kate Winslet finished their run. Yeah, they swept them all. They swept. Right? They yeah. swept. Yeah, it's all over uh, for them. Michael Keaton. Do Michael Keaton's gonna translate? Yeah, yeah he yeah. better. Absolutely. That's the best performance across all mediums who, I've like, seen who, all year. What else is coming though? Like, first of all, him and Sebastian Stan's gonna be a really good like just a little. Yes, I think Sebastian makes it. I he better. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike has a look like <laughs> I, maybe not. No, it's 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 kind of early to tell because there are so many last minute so limited many. series. Yeah, so everything's popping up. Yeah. But Michael Keaton, that like it is no small praise to say that Dope Sick I think is the best performance of his career. He's so yeah. so good in that. Yeah, and no, then after rolling onto the stage, literally, you, well, you, John Hamm. I, remember, yeah. I, I thought John Hamm immediately when he won his Emmy because he did that. Yeah, role. John Hamm was sitting in the audience though. Michael Keaton coming in and gaining yeah. that momentum. Was yeah, great. I was very worried. I was like, "Sir, sir, you're like sixty, 60 something. something. Yeah. Stop it." Also, was he not looking at the the program? program yeah, like like, <laughs> like I never not. understand why people are in the bathroom. Like you can see when you're up. Like I wonder if by bathroom they mean bar. Either way, yeah. like you know when it's coming, so just like don't yeah. get up around that time. But it made for a great moment. Or, so maybe or send he knew, someone else. Maybe he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh yeah, yeah. He wanted. Maybe he, he wanted, wanted to a, He wanted an entrance. He's no dummy. So, Come on. He's an entertainer. He's been doing this for decades. Maybe he exactly knew what he was doing. So yeah. kudos. When they were like Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, and I was like, is like Michael Douglas just going to get up and take mm, it? I you know, know, you know, Michael Keaton's real name is Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah. 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 He uh, switched it up because Michael Douglas being alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's Michael Douglas again? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He's now done with Kirk uh, Douglas changed his name. What was well, Michael Douglas is going to be Benjamin Franklin now. I that's, know that's the next. Is that this year or is that like? Well, they just announced it, so that'll be down the line. Um, that's that's that that's to I'm worry saying about. No to TV now. Anyone <laughs> that says like, oh, we have like no, just, like no. the door is closed. I no more shows. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think we should end it there because we've got uh, plenty more to talk about in the future weeks. But uh, for now, great to see you all in person. Um, Sorry we lost Jazz. Uh, 
but I'm, she was coughing. Yeah, we had we had to eliminate her. So <laughs> every week we're going to lose another member. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so she will be next week. It's just one of us talking alone in the void. Well, thank you, Janelle and Clayton. Who's already back on his phone? I, he's, I, he's a busy man. I'm, I'm not. I'm watching a commercial that you were watching. <laughs> it's a good one. It's LeBron. All right. See you guys next week. All right, bye. bye. After the break, Encanto composer Jermaine Franco. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Oscar-nominated animated feature Encanto includes eight original songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, while Jermaine Franco's score cuts in and out of the songs, evoking a sense of magical realism. When Jermaine Franco began the scoring process, she says the whole film wasn't completely animated and the songs were still being worked on. Folk instruments were integral to Franco's score. With Stephanie Beatrice's Mirabelle as the only family member who doesn't yet have her magical power, Franco says she identified with the character and crafted the film's main theme around her. Variety's Jazz Tanke recently spoke with Franco about working with Lin-Manuel Miranda, the film's success, and also landing an Oscar nomination. They began by discussing what it feels like to have Academy Award nominee in front of your name. It's amazing because it's still going on, you know. People are still calling and writing, and it's still the soundtrack's still number one. Um, so thanks to everyone for supporting it the, and the film. Um, well, after we finished... You know, we had the beautiful premiere and that was so exciting. And then it, I was able to take, you know, my mother to the film. And that was a wonderful experience with my sisters. And um, and then also, you know, at around Christmas, people watching it and just getting all kinds of emails, text calls just when it dropped on Disney Plus about how much, you know, an email from, you know, Fiona, the the manager at Abbey Road Studios, I watched it 11 times now, you know, with my child. And, you know, it's just it's so cool that people from the industry are writing to me and then family, friends, colleagues and people from my high school like I haven't talked to in forever. You know, it's just been nice that I've actually reconnected with some friends that I haven't, you know, we just people move away or whatever. So, and then also the fact that the kids are loving it and singing and dancing and it's making families happy during this crazy time, you know, that to me is the, the greatest reward. Yeah. I mean, there've been so many reactions, so many videos of recreations. Is there one that particularly just hits home and stands out for you? Well, the one video that I love the most is there's a little boy who looks like Antonio and his parents. And he did you see that one? Yeah, I walked to the screen. He thinks it's him. And it's so beautiful. I'm so happy about that because he sees himself on the screen 
and he's com- communicating and he's thinking, oh, that's me. And that that gives me kind of chills because we really wanted that particular scene to be very, you know, um, very much about Antonio and as he gets his gift and made major, you know, I really crafted the score. So we use Afro-Colombian elements and to see that one, I just love it. I mean, there's lots of other ones, but that one was sort of one that stuck out to me. Yeah. Let's go back, um, you know, to how the project actually began for you. Cause I, I seem to remember, I think, wasn't it Tom McDougall who's head of Disney music and Lynn, they both approached you. What, was that pitch that they said to you? Well, um, Tom called first and said, okay, I've got this project. What do you think about working with Lynn? You know, and I'm like, oh, yes, of course, you know, Lynn Momwell. And I had seen Lynn on, you know, in the Heights at the Pantages years ago. And saw Hamilton, you know, here at Pantages, wished I had gone to New York, but could never get a ticket to Hamilton. So I, you know, he was blowing up and he, uh, Moana, they were working on Moana while I was working on Coco. So um, I've just always followed his career and path in music. So to the chance to work with him, of course, I was super excited and and it, it was really great. Um, they were just saying, well, just, you know, speak to, to Lynn and see how that goes. And then talk to Jared and Byron and Yvette and Clark. Um, and then let's, you know, see if we're going to have a go at it. So I spoke, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm calling Lynn Manuel. And we um, spoke for an hour about, you know, growing up, his experience, my experience, who we listen to, you know, what we love, styles, you know, about, especially about Latin music. And it went went really well. And I was so happy to have that first chat that then, you know, it went forward from that. So it was very exciting. And, but I kept it all under wraps because, you know, I wasn't really sure yet until a couple months later that I was, you know, officially hired. Yeah. I mean, you talked about, um, you know, Antonio earlier, but like talk about the, the the great thing about Encanto is that, you know, Lynn has eight new songs in there, but you've also got this incredible score within that. Like how did the two of you work to be like, okay, with Byron and, and Jared and and be like, okay, this is where we're going to put a song that seamlessly transitions into score or his score that seamlessly transitions into, um, you know, into a song? Well, so when we started, um, the whole film wasn't actually completely animated. So certain sequences were animated and especially the songs they were working on that. And basically it was really great because I was given all of um Lynn's demos in this program we use we both use called Logic and and um, just him it's really great it's like amazing seeing how he thinks and and constructs his work and creates so you know I heard the original very uh, you know first demos of Bruno all the songs so I was they were all in various stages some of them were completely done others were you know, still working on lyric changes, et cetera. But I basically took the songs, put them into my software 
and just started studying them. But how does Lynn write? How is he working harmonically? What's he doing with his melody? So I could really learn the foundation of all the songs. And then after that, I met with, you know, Byron and, and Jared, and we talked about the scope of how would the score work in conjunction with the songs, because the songs are very melodic, obviously. And so how would we, you know, make the score work in addition and weave, like you said. So one of the things I did was on his songs, I would always have some score that leads up into the song that sounds like the song and uses the same instruments, the same key. And then it feels like it's sort of a ramp into the song where it's not just score and then, oh, there's a song like there. So that was one of the things and going out uh, of my, you know, of the songs going into the score. I was always very careful harmonically how I did that. And also I studied how, you know, his rhythms and use of instruments. And then after we, you know, he'd already finished this arrangements with Mike Elizondo, I was asked to add orchestra to his songs. So I did that and I orchestrated and arranged and produced the sessions. So, cause, so I became very familiar with the songs. Yeah. It's so fascinating hearing that process. And you mentioned instruments, like, but for you as a composer and in, you know, building that oral landscape, like what was, what instruments were key to you in, you know, and, and creating that authentic Colombian magic realism world. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a fun part of the process was experimenting with the sounds that the filmmakers responded to. So one of the things they did on their trip to Colombia was, you know, they went to different regions and they happened to love this one instrument called the tiple, which is a, a guitar. And it sounds kind of twangy and you don't hear it in other countries. You, you know, there is the guitar, the, the Spanish guitar in all the Latin countries. And then each each country has its own specific string instrument that is specific to that region or our country. So there's another um, instrument called bandola and then a cuatro. And then there's the harp, the Latin American harp. So I bought literally the Colombian harp, had it shipped. <laughs> I was serious. I like, I got to get Colombia to me because it's pandemic and I can't go there. So I, I had the harp and then recorded it with uh, actually John Powell helped me do this and, you know, plucking all the strings and making a, a, a synthesizer patch that's it's called a sampler that when you play the keyboards, it sounds like you're plucking the, the harp. So the harp became a very important sound. And then all the string instruments I mentioned I did this thing where it was like a tremolo where you sort of tickle the strings and then you add a bunch of bourbon, it sounds ambient. And that became one of my kind of signature sounds for the magical realism. In addition to feminine voice, the female voice, I felt because, you know, magical realism is about a world that exists right now. And some people are aware of it and some people aren't outside of this dimension. And so I always felt like the voice could lead us to the other world. And um, I, I felt like it wanted to be female because uh, there's a woman named Toto La Momposina, who's an Afro-Colombiana, and she's like Celia Cruz to Colum to is to Cuba and Toto is to Colombia. 
And um, she just really influenced me. I'd listen to her and I'd listen to the rhythms and I wanted to bring those rhythms into the score. And they're very much planned out, you know, in certain places with these Colombian instruments. And the last one is the marimba. It's called a marimba de chonta. And I literally had it made by an artisan there, shipped to my house, I mean, to the studio. And big, these African drums that they still use called tamboras. And I I played them. I'm actually playing the <laughs> marimba, the drums. You know, I, I recorded them and they're all in the score, as well oh as God. other people playing them as well. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the pandemic, which, you know, talk about composing a score in the pandemic. I mean, this is such a big step for you career-wise. And here you are trying to navigate that. Like, talk. how did you navigate the whole thing? Well, it was a lot of um, um, figuring out new ways to work because I'd actually done like five projects in 2020 during the pandemic when it first started. And I had worked out how to do it but, you know, um, then this one came um, because everybody was, you know, in their homes working. We weren't able to be in the same room together. And that really makes a difference when you're a filmmaker, you know, and you're to are anyone creative. You're in the room, you're talking, you're sharing ideas back and forth. But to, to present the music on the, you know, the laptop and we don't know what kind of um, headphones they're using. That's why composers want the directors in the room because you can control the speakers and what they're hearing. So that was the first challenge. And then um, later the challenges of recording um, were great because there's all these rules at that point with COVID, like if you were a mask person and you were playing strings, you couldn't be in the same room with a wind player because they were blowing air. So we had to separate and took like a lot longer to record everything because we did separate sections, strings separate from woodwinds, separate from brass and percussion. So instead of something that would have taken about two and a half weeks, we wound up recording around four and a half weeks. And more sessions, we had a COVID scare once, we had to shut a session down, you know, just, yeah. So it was pretty tricky. But we managed, and Disney was fantastic in supporting me all the way. Yeah. Wow, that's that's insane. But, you you know, you still delivered an incredible score. And, you know, you talked about the female aspect of magic realism. And, this, you know, at the center of the story is Mirabelle. And, you know, it's her story ult- ultimately, um, as well as this incredible family, the Magic Girl family. Um, talk about her cue and how that drove the score because despite there being like new different characters it's her motif that kind of so carries through how did that weave into like Antonio's voice and Bruno and Luisa and the rest of the family with her being you know front and center right so she's a great character and Stephanie Beatrice does such a great job playing and singing the role um she is so tenacious and I feel like she's just so, um, you know, such an inspiration because she doesn't ever give up and she's always positive. And, you know, maybe sometimes other people would be negative, but she just keeps turning it around and figuring out how to keep going. 
And, and I really identified with that myself. And um, I wanted to give her a theme that, that was um, very rhythmical because she's always on the go, you know? And um, so trying to figure things out. So we decided that I presented that there's a, an Encanto theme that opens the whole movie and you'll hear it. And that Encanto theme is representing the magic of the place, the place, the Encanto, the magical place, as well as the family. And um, so the, I take that theme and I put it on a cumbia rhythm, which is a and, and it's like a groove and a dance and it's a party rhythm. So while she's sneaking around, you'll hear those little scrapers, which are, uh, watch, they're called wacharacas from Colombia. And, and I kept that going, but it's, you, her theme is actually using some of the family theme because we needed to have one theme that tied the whole family together. And that's what Byron and Jared wanted. They didn't, we did talk about, oh, maybe using one of the songs and taking that melody, but we decided, you know, Jared and Byron wanted it something different. So we we had this theme, they, they felt that it was nostalgic and they felt that it was also a little bit sad, but not too sad, but magical. And so that was what drove her theme that we took that in constant theme, put it on the cumbia and just, change it around with many different instruments. Yeah. Is there, uh, what was, I guess, you know, in terms of like a motif to crack or a cue, like which was the, what was the most challenging one for you to, to break? Most challenging cue. Um, I would say that the, as Mirabel is walking Antonio up the stairs um, I wrote, rewrote that multiple times <laughs> because I was, it was like, I was trying to find the storytelling aspect of it. You know, that's what I'm looking for in every cue. And my first approach, it was too beautiful. Like, oh, she's going to get a gift. And it was very pretty and it sounded, you know, nice, but it didn't have the pathos <laughs> that she's having these flashbacks. This is a terrible moment for her. You know, she didn't get one. So I wound up taking many different, um, you know, approaches to that. And I finally, um, the best approach was, was simple, you know, because there was there, I had too many things going on. And then finally, you know, I finally got to that. So it starts and it's just very slow and little things are happening. And as they go up the stairs, it starts to get, you know, a little bit more. And then when he puts his hand on that, the full on Encanto theme is going. And, um, you know, the next scene as well was a favorite of mine. So that was a tricky one. There were several tricky ones, like the tango <laughs> at the dinner. That was really a lot of sync, you know, because yeah. there's a lot happening on screen. And so a lot of shifts in the tango, but super fun to do. You know, I like a good tango. Oh my gosh. That was fun to see as an, as a, as a viewer. Um, the, the other thing about the score is that, you know, in true Disney style, there is a dark element to the movie. And I say dark in, in quotes, um, What's so great about it is there there's that balance where it does tinker into the dark side, but it's not terrifying enough to scare like 
the you know the three-year-old or the four-year-old that's watching that how did you find that balance in your school yes well that was a lot of discussion of not scaring the kids in the bruno tower you know and um and during the chase scene at first they were concerned like oh god we're gonna scare the kids too much so don't make Bruno so so you know heavy-handed and the 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 phantom villain. And then they wanted to lean into it. So and I think the kids like a good scare sometimes. And um, so that's when it, I went more full out, like big brass and drums, like just you know, really, and the orchestra's just churning, doing rhythms, and it's just, it just keeps getting more intense. Um, so that's how I handled that, that when she's going into that cave, you know, to his, his lair or his tunnel. Um, but it starts off softly. Like you don't, it, it's all controlled. Um, it's not till the door closes that you think, oh God, she's, she could die here. You know, she can't get out there sand and she's finding the pieces. So, um, and then, you know, when she's running away, you, we, we, they wanted to feel some suspense so that one was that was fun (laughs) oh my gosh um let's talk a little bit about you and your incredible career as I said you know you you you're working on other scores you know before the pandemic and during the pandemic but um you know take us back like to you know Jermaine Franco as a young you know as a little kid like is there a score that you remember or a theme that was like I really like that. And it stood out for you. Oh yeah. Sound of music. Loved all those, those um, songs. I I listened to a lot of music when I was growing up and um, believe it or not, you know, I did, I did watch movies and I listened to music separate. I was way into funk in a big way. (laughs) I was in like a (laughs) funk band and um, I was on a drum line with, you know, it was like half Mexican kids and half black or African-American. And we would jam for hours for, for years. And so, and we would listen to all these, you know, Sly and the family stone, we would play in bands. So I was doing that. And then I was playing orchestral music. And then I was, you know, um, playing in the, in the jazz bands. But then when I would hear all these beautiful songs, you know, I just, I just loved it. And I, and, you know, Mary Poppins, uh, you know, I, I loved 101 Dalmatians. I mean, all those Disney classics were just part of my life and without knowing it. And, and, you know, back then we didn't have Disney plus you waited around when a Disney movie was going to show on TV. And so that was fun. Um, to be able to work with Disney after growing up with all those classic films in my head and in my, you know, in my environment is really exciting. And and then also to be able to bring, you know, be asked to do something new and exciting. I mean, I don't uh, know of any other Afro-Colombian cue that um, are, you know, instruments that have been in in a Disney film and it's so cool that Lynn has done all these amazing songs and then I we get to put all these instruments and you know working on Coco putting all the Mexican songs and elements I mean it's so exciting as a musician and songwriter music producer to be working with like the best musicians 
And I have to say the musicians on this score did an amazing job of playing and yeah. we recorded most of it here. And we did record the choir and some of the choir in Columbia. And I want to always give a shout out to them because the score comes alive through them, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about the, the choir now that you've mentioned it, because they are, as you say, like, they're such a beautiful addition, but also so important to the score of Encanto. So how did that all come together? Well, I um, always envisioned like this, the theme, I sang that and then I played it on the piano. So uh, the Encanto theme. Um, so I always had that connection with the voice. And so I, I knew I wanted a choir uh, and I work with a beautiful friend and uh, singer, contractor, conductor named Edie Lehman Boddicker. She's on so many projects. And she I met her through John Powell because she worked on Happy Feet, all of his films. She does all this. And so when I went off on my own, she started helping me on my first independent film with where I needed some vocals, which was Margarita. So I called her up and I said, look, this is the style I want. And I, I showed her everything. She came to my studio. We we watched some picture and she gave me her you know, advice on who we should get and who could probably do some of that Afro-Colombian singing. And I was also talking to some musicians from Colombia that like one, a friend, J.D. Pettis, his dad and his sister, they were going to do it here. But then when I went to see Carlos Vives live, that was Matt Walker's uh, <laughs> suggestion. He's like, you need a break. Get out and go see this concert at Hollywood Bowl. And I said, oh, I, I really want to thank you, but I'm so busy. I'm trying to finish the score. And he said, no, please take a break. So I go. I'm sitting with Jared. We're like the whole place is rocking. I got to go backstage and meet um, him, which was amazing. I love his music and also his singers. And one of them is named Isa Mosquera, who's an Afro-Colombian woman. And also the flute player named Maite who plays the flute like a bird. She's amazing. And I'd been watching and listening to them for years, you know, years. To, and so I drove back from the Hollywood Bowl and I said, that's what we need. We need them to sing on this. We can't have the session singers do what we, we want. We got to get to Colombians. And so we did a 12 piece choir in a studio in Colombia. And we we did a like a very long Zoom. I mean, we took a lot of patience. And then I literally uh, took all the tracks, edited them, and then put them on what I'd already recorded with orchestra. And then I added Edie's choir of 22 people. So you're you're hearing, you know, voice, global voices on this track and a lot of amazing, you know, women and women of color and men, men of color. I, I always do that on my projects. I really want to include as many different voices and musicians as possible. Yeah. So amazing. When did you know that you wanted to that composing was a career that you could actually pursue? Well, I found out in college um, uh, when I was a kid, I was always on the piano improvising and improvising on vibes and and then and, and percussion. But when I went to college, I um, played in my own jazz band, Latin band. And and I was always writing out the charts for everyone. 
And then I started to like, well, let me try this. What? You, okay, I'm going to write some stuff for my own group. And that it was really in that moment. And I, I was playing concerts, a lot of festivals, big, big festivals with my own band thinking, this is awesome. People love this. And um, I'm, I was making a living as a, you know, like a concert percussionist playing at the LA, I mean, the Houston Pops, the Texas Chamber Orchestra, um, just doing lots of show gigs. And um, I did the, like the Golden Girls gig. I was like a little <laughs> like 19 year old playing percussion with them, you know, and thinking to myself, oh, yeah. This is what I want to do. I didn't have any clue, but I knew I wanted to keep writing. And through the L.A. Theater Center, when I moved here, I started writing for the plays. And I that's what was my step into film was I got asked to write for a, a project through Universal Hispanic Film Project. And my first gig was on the Fox scoring stage. And, you know, who doesn't want to yeah. keep doing that? I mean, being on the Fox scoring stage is a very um historic it's a stage and then to have that huge room and you're looking at your music and you're just thinking wow this is this is amazing oh my gosh what a journey and you know fast forward to oscar nomination morning did you get up at i mean you're in la did you get up at four o'clock in the morning five o'clock whatever i'm gonna be on no (laughs) so you know what i did was i put my phone in my closet. <laughs> and oh I I said, if the phone rings, I will wake up. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then okay, it wasn't for me this year. So I got a call from my brother and then immediately Tom McDougal. And that was about 5.15. So yes, then I was awake. But <laughs> I wasn't watching it. I did watch it later. And I could barely watch it because my phone was ringing off the hook. And you know, I, I called my mother, I called my family, people were calling me. It was so fun. I have to say, it was one of the funnest days of my life. <laughs> That's Oscar-nominated Encanto composer Jermaine Franco. Encanto is now streaming on Disney+, and the Encanto soundtrack is available wherever you listen to music. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Hanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Oh,